Hello and welcome. I'm Charles Pellegrin. You're watching People in Profit on France 24. Coming up this week, as developing economies need more financial support to deal with climate change, we'll see the crucial role the private sector can play in the green transition with the head of the International Finance Corporation. As war breaks out between Hamas and Israel, we take stock of the damage the blockade on Gaza Strip has done to the local economy. Saddled with debt and soaring costs, a large number of Japanese business owners are having to declare bankruptcy in an increasingly unforgiving economic climate. First off, we head to Marrakesh in Morocco, where the World Bank and International Monetary Fund are holding their annual meetings this week. The last time the African continent was host to such an event was in 1973. And 50 years later, the mission of these banks is the same, providing the finances necessary to durably alleviate poverty and properly face the climate crisis. The International Finance Corporation, part of the World Bank Group, is working towards that aim by focusing on supporting developing economies' private sectors. In fiscal year 2023, they secured their largest volume of investments in history, over $43 billion, 14 of which were directed towards climate financing, also a record. The managing director of the IFC, Maktar Diop, joins us now from Marrakesh to share his insights on the role the private sector has to play in development and climate change resilience. Uh, Mr. Diop, thank you for being with us on People and Profit. Uh, first off, uh, the IFC mobilized its, its largest ever amount of climate financing this uh, fiscal year. We, we mentioned it just before. Can you give us a clearer sense of what this term climate financing actually means? You have uh, community energy projects in the DRC, solar farm projects in Uzbekistan. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. We, in fact, these uh, 14 billion are financing uh, uh, solar energy, uh, wind energy. We are also helping companies to green their supply chain, which is quite important because, as we know, there is a requirement from the European market, but also to reduce the impact of climate change, we need to really help to work on the hard to obey the sector. We are working on the metallurgy sector to make sure that those sectors are very polluting, are now adopting new technology or new way of doing business, which are not, uh, which are not polluting. When we think about uh, renewable energy, uh, we think about big electricity grids, for instance, and we think about state actors, but in your case, you're dealing a lot with uh, private sector uh, actors. Can you tell us, is there any particular advantage in dealing with the private sector as opposed to the public sector in this field? Actually, it's necessary if you want to accelerate the path of energy transition. As you know, we are in a situation where fiscally, a lot of countries are in a difficult situation and cannot finance the huge needs we have to, 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 to support this energy transition. So what have we, have we have been doing? We have been helping particularly on generation, which is production of electricity, to support uh, uh, private sector investors, we are finding that segment very interesting, very lucrative, but also they realize that it's, uh, uh, it's uh, essential to be able to invest in that sector if they want to have the returns they, they, need, they want to have. Uh, but it, it's hard to shake fossil fuels uh, entirely. Um, there's a, a report by a German NGO, uh, Urgewald, Uni, uh, that's found that in 2022, um, as much as 3.7 billion dollars in trade finance at the AFC uh, might have ended up financing development in in oil and gas. Let me talk about what we are doing and, uh, in terms of fossil fuel because I think there is a lot of 
things that need to be clarified. The direct investment of, uh, of the World Bank Group in fossil fuel uh, represent 0.2% of our commitment. Let me repeat, 0.2% of our commitment in direct financing. And when we are not financed, uh, when we are financing directly, fossil fuel is gas. Why? Because it's important to have a base load in a system to be able to add uh, renewable energy. You cannot run, no country in the world is running its system only using batteries and using renewable energy. So more advanced countries have access to nuclear. Some other countries are using coal. Some other countries are using hydro when it's available. But for the countries, developing countries who don't have access to nuclear, who don't want to do nuclear, who don't want to do coal, and who don't have hydro, so only option they have to be able to have a base load and build on it a significant amount of, of uh, uh, renewable energy is gas to power. Well, you're in the Marrakesh right now at these annual meetings, uh, and I'm sure many topics of conversation are being approached. And um, one of the key topics, obviously, should be debt, um, specifically how uh, to give developing nations that are currently in debt distress more room to breathe, more room to be able to invest uh, in the, those, uh, that in crucial infrastructure for their development, whether it's climate or otherwise. Uh, the finance minister of Malawi, while there, actually uh, made a call for outright debt cancellation. Uh, what's your take on this? So mechanisms I would put in place in the past worked well and served a lot. In the, in, in, the, in the recent years, there were a steep increase in the level of indebtedness and at conditions which were not the best condition for the market with very high level of premium. Today, we have, this, we have seen the various crises that we are facing that uh, government has ex, ex, uh, uh, increased ex expenses in social sector and in health sector. And there is a framework that would be put in place by, uh, by the World Bank with IMF to be able to address those issues and to do it in an orderly way. Maktar Diop is the Managing Director of the IFC, the International Finance Corporation. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, Mr. Parrell. And we're heading to the Gaza Strip now, where an unprecedented attack by the ruling Hamas party against Israel has led to aggressive retaliation, leaving thousands of people dead on either side, many of whom were civilians. This explosion of violence takes place 16 years after an Israeli blockade backed by Egypt was imposed on the Palestinian territory, restricting the flow of goods and people and stymieing economic development. Israel says the measure is necessary to stop the flow of arms into the territory. Well, Yuka Royer from France 24's business desk joins us now uh, to give us a sense of the economic impact of this uh, blockade. Uh, tell us more about the economic hardships that Gazans are going through. Well, Charles, years of isolation uh, and continuous violence have left Gaza deprived of economic development. It's largely dependent on small-scale agricultural fisheries as well as foreign aid. Now, 46% of people are out of work, and that number jumps to 70% among young graduates. Last year, per capita income in Gaza was about a quarter of that in the West Bank, with 81% of the population living in poverty, according to the UN, and 63% going hungry. On top of that, funding shortfalls meant that this summer, the World Food Programme could provide assistance to only 40% of those in need. 
And the blockade has been especially tough on uh, infrastructure, especially energy infrastructure. Well, chronic power shortages in Gaza have all but killed industries such as manufacturing and textiles. Electricity is off for 11 hours on an average day, and it could go up to 20 hours at times. Uh, before the current war began, Charles, some 120 megawatts of power came from Israel and only 72 megawatts produced domestically. Demand far outlay, outweighed supply, as you can see there. Uh, Israel bombed Gaza's only power station back in 2006, and the blockade has prevented it from ever being fully repaired. And even to operate at limited capacity, it still relied on fuel imported via Israel. Now, in response to Hamas's assault, Israel has moved to totally cut off supplies of food, water, fuel and electricity. And one of the lifelines of the economy has been the issuance of exit permits to work outside Gaza. Well, for decades, Israel has relied on cheap Palestinian labor and Palestinians relied on access to the Israeli job market. Back in the 80s, up to 46,000 Gazans, Gazans worked in Israel, according to the Institute for National Security Studies. But in 2006, Israel drastically reduced the number of work permits for Palestinians until it officially lifted a blanket ban in late 2021 after the pandemic. The issuance of work permits gave Israel leverage over Palestinians and over Hamas as it could improve or worsen Gaza's economic situation at will. For Gazans, they provided crucial opportunities to earn a wage, even if working conditions were often poor. Yukuroye, thank you very much. We'll look at the struggles of small businesses in Japan next, with a jump in the number of companies that have had to shut shop since the start of the year. The number of bankruptcies in the first quarter of 2023 was 32.1% higher than in the same period last year. Our reporters in Tokyo sent us this. I don't think anybody is here. This company no longer exists. I see the director's office, the empty chair. Since everything is still in good condition, I imagine it's pretty recent. Akiyoshi Niki works for a firm that reports bankruptcies to the government. His job is to check that former employees have vacated the premises. It's been a busy month. This is the 17th bankruptcy he's witnessed. Last year, 492 companies went bankrupt in August. This year, there were 760. That's 50% more. Three sectors have been particularly hard hit. Construction, restaurants and manufacturing. Have you raised your prices? Yes, we made some little changes on our menus. This restaurateur has been struggling since the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. She's saddled with loans she can't repay, so she's turned to a bank that specializes in helping small businesses. He made some recommendations to help manage my staffing shortage in particular. Also, the ingredients I use for the menu have increased, so he offered to raise the price to make a profit. Oya's restaurant is not the only company finding it difficult to get back on its feet. They blame their predicament on several factors. During COVID, restaurants took out loans in addition to those they already had. And today there is the increase in prices of raw materials and the lack of labor, which have added to this. 
Businesses are bracing for more tough times ahead, with bankruptcy set to continue at the current rate until at least the end of the year. Well, that's all for now. People in Profit isn't going anywhere, though. We'll be back with a new edition next week. Please uh, check out our previous shows on France24.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to reach out to us on social media if you have any questions or comments. In the meantime, thanks for watching and stay tuned. It may be the world's most famous transmission tower, but it's what we put in to the France 24 debate that makes it unique. Join us at that crossroads where differing perspectives meet to argue the point about the stories that matter to you. The debate here on France 24 and France24.com.